You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough of the insanity in Christianity, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith grounded in reality, working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. This is not a zone for spiritual escapism, Sunday school answers, or Christianese. We're here to call out religious BS and look for better ways forward. We have an action-packed show today. It is very tight on time because I'm going to be sitting down with a special someone with a really special interview that we're going to be getting to in a moment. So I will tell you, this broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at snarkyfaith.com or wherever else you find podcasts. So if you look for us, just look for Snarky Faith. And if you're regular to the show and you're saying, hey, Stuart, where's the Christian crazy of the week? Don't worry, I got you covered. For those not listening on terrestrial radio, those listening on podcasts, just wait till the end. You get bonus Christian crazy just for you. But before that, I'm going to be sitting down with author Todd Vick to talk about his new book that just came out. And it's one that I've thoroughly enjoyed, and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation that Todd and I have together. So without further ado, here we go. Joining me today is Todd Vick. Todd Vick is an award-winning writer, best-selling author, conference speaker, and certified transformation life coach. He's also the author of the new book, The Reconstruction of Your Mind, A Post-Deconstruction Journey. So welcome. Welcome here, Todd. Thank you so much. Good to be here. I want to say, first and foremost, like I enjoyed the book, and it definitely feels like, I'm not sure if you're, if you're ready to take on this mantle, but it kind of feels like you are a tour guide for someone going through their own like spiritual and theological apocalypse. It's kind of what happens <laughs> like when, it all, when, <laughs> when it's all blown up, and, and it, this book feels very much like, like you are a good friend walking someone through this. And, and I feel like there's a lot of truth into these pages, and it really feels like you've lived through the tale you tell. Oh, yeah. And... Um, so for starters, many people like talk about deconstruction, but I want you to like give us a definition of deconstruction. Give us like a working definition we can walk through here. Yeah, I'm basically deconstruction is your everything that you believe as far as your faith, it just comes crashing down because it just no longer works for you uh, as it is. Uh, and that's what happened to me. I, I quit the ministry. I didn't resign. I didn't retire. I quit. I walked away. Um, with extreme prejudice <laughs> and, um, you know, just kind of went through this whole thing. I was like, I don't even believe in God anymore. I'm not even sure I believe in any of this anymore because mm-hmm. it was just such a long road of, of pretty much selling out to, you know, the church was paying my salary. So I kind of had to give them what they wanted kind of thing. Um, and I just couldn't do it anymore. So I took a little time away from that, uh, started looking up um, what other people were saying in other religions. I talked to this really cool Hindu guy. Um, I even thought about becoming a Hindu, but he talked me out of it and said, you, you need to stay with Christianity because that's where your heart is. And I was like, well, your evangelism quota is not going to be met this month. But um, so that, you know, you know, that was just a part of the journey. It just, you know, it, it was a frightening, terribly frightening uh, thing to go through and very lonely my wife didn't understand what I was going through. My children, my siblings, everybody just thought I was going crazy. Um, and, I, and it was able to meet a few friends online and, and connect and network. And, you know, I've gone through Keith Giles' Square One class, which I highly recommend for anybody going through deconstruction. Um, and he is a great teacher and a great mentor. And I just I just think we need to get behind him as much as we can. But, um, but yeah, that's about it. It just it all comes crashing down. And suddenly it's like, what the hell do I believe now? I don't, I don't have anything left. And that's when you kind of go on a journey to, to piece it together. And that's where the book 
came from my, you know, just uh, my journey of piecing it back together and I'm still piecing it back together. It's not complete. Um, but yeah, like you said, I just wanted to help, help the reader find a place where they can at least start building again uh, and, and enjoy having faith because that, that's what deconstruction, it kind of takes the joy out of everything um, and make, makes you sad and depressed. And then, you know, reconstruction is like, okay, that maybe there's hope after all for this. Now, for you, you mentioned, especially throughout the book, about your your journey through uh, through vocational ministry. Um, what what began to what led to your deconstruction? What were those threads that you started to pull on, and you started to see issues with? What were some of those things that? Yeah. Um, well, the the final straw for me was the the last church that I was pastoring. Um, I got a call on Christmas Eve from one of the. Uh, connected family members. Um, and she said, I need you to talk to my son tomorrow. Uh, it's urgent. And, you know, what had happened was the son came out to his family, mm-hmm. which was just, you know, this was a solid Southern Baptist established family and he just wasn't going to do that. So they asked me to talk to him and, and I prayed really hard and thought really hard. What would I say to this kid? I, I just don't know. And the best I could come up with was God loves you, man. God loves you. God accepts you. Um, and he's behind you. He's for you, not against you. And boy, they didn't like that very much. And so that was kind of the beginning of the end for me. They just stopped liking everything I was doing after that. But I wasn't gonna, I wasn't gonna condemn this guy because I didn't really feel like I had a, a, a foundation on which to judge him, um, because I'm not perfect either. But he's struggling with something very real and and very powerful, and he's got no support at home. And so all I could think to do is just give him some support. Mm. Um, haven't heard from him since then. I hope he's doing okay, but, uh, you know, hopefully that day he got something that he needed. But, boy, his family was not happy with me after that. They were expecting me to talk him down and talk him off the ledge and tell him God's going to condemn him and this and that and the other. I just couldn't do that. It just wasn't in my heart anymore to do that. 20 years ago, I might have done that. Mm. Um, but, you know, this journey has softened me. To, to the point where I just, you know, I've seen so many things, uh, real things, real people in real distress, real situations. It's like, you, you know, the four walls of the church, that's not real. That's just stuff. That's just, you know, club stuff and, and country club stuff. And uh, it doesn't usually bring you anything real. And this church was just not real. They were trying to, um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time dissing them, but um, they weren't real. They, they, you know, if I posted something on Facebook uh, that they didn't like, they would come say, look, we don't want you posting stuff like that because it's going to make us look bad. Um, and I'm thinking, well, you look bad already because nobody wants to come here anymore. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, it just, you know, being in vocational ministry was was fun at one time. Uh, and then around, I guess, 2000, 2001, mm-hmm. when I read Steve McVeigh's book, Grace Walk, uh, things just really began to change. I just began to... Um, preach more grace and got in trouble for that. And, you know, I told people in church one time, I said, you don't ever have to give a cent to this church because God's going to accept you whether you give it or not. Mm-hmm. He loves you. He accepts you. He, he's for you. Um, and he's going to bless you whether you give financially or not. And boy, they didn't like that at all because that's, you know, that's how you pay the bills and church and stuff. But you know, so over the years, I just kind of got in trouble tripping over myself and my, you know, gradual deconstruction in the ministry. And then, you know, like I said, I just, I got to a place where I just couldn't do it anymore. I was so dead inside and so fake. I uh, just had to find, I had to find something else. I, 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 I have lived through something similar to that. So I know what it's like as you're deconstructing and walking through the, the hard thing is, and, and I run into, I run into and have conversations with pastors usually more privately uh, online or otherwise that are that are deconstructing, but no, they can't do this publicly. But no, you know, I've had many conversations where like, well, if my church knew I was having this kind of a conversation right now, my job would be over. And and I think that a lot of times people don't understand the the particular strains for people in vocational ministry. Um, can you speak to a little bit of that? Because it's it's a it's deconstruction is a and reconstruction are a difficult process. It's even more difficult when your vocation pays the bills and your deconstruction is leading you away from that. Yeah. It, um, it's easy at first because you know, they're paying your salary and you just got to do what you got to do. And they even taught us this in seminary, you know, you just teach the word and preach the word and, and uh, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. But, um, 
know, sometimes I just felt really bad about certain things that I'd come across in scripture. So I would skip it um, and move to something that I could preach and they would accept like the cross, the blood, the resurrection, you know, things like that, that, you know, make Baptists want to shout and things, but um, <laughs> they didn't shout by the way. But um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's like you're selling out every week. And I enjoyed preaching. I enjoyed teaching very much. I kind of miss it sometimes, but um, you know, there were just times where I, I almost couldn't get the words out because it's, this was not what my heart wanted to say. And I think they could tell uh, after the sermon was over because you didn't get as many pats on the back and things. Um, but yeah, it's really, really hard when you're, when you've been ensconced in that lifestyle for so long and people know you in this way. And for you to just suddenly say, Hey, I'm deconstructing. Um, they would never support that. They, you know, they would fire me. I would have no income, no benefits. Of course, nowadays, I don't even think churches pay anything anymore like they used to. That's true. Um, used to have a, you know, when I started out, you had a, a salary package that include housing and car payment, and everything else. And, and uh, with my last church, they paid me $300 a week, uh, period, for full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. So it just, uh, it's, it's changed a lot over the years. But that, that's the one thing that hasn't changed. It's just uh, the feeling like you're selling out, like you're really not giving them the God that you believe in. You're just giving them the God that they want to believe in, the God that they want to hear from. And you probably, you know, depends on you, but you can probably do it for a while and, and, and get by with it. I did it for almost 30 years. Um, and I, I finally just reached a place where I, I can't do this anymore. This is, this is crap. I don't believe this anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if I believe in God anymore. You know, if I say that in church, that would run me out with you know pitchforks and everything. But mm-hmm. um, I just, yeah, I just reached a place where I'd had a mental breakdown before I left the church. And that was kind of the last big thing to happen um, because I had absolutely no support from them whatsoever when I was in the hospital. Um, I even got yelled at for missing Sunday service because I was in the hospital. Uh, and it's like, you know what, this just isn't, this is not worth it <laughs> anymore. People just don't care. Um, they just want to hear the sermons and pay their tithe and go home, have a potato salad sometimes at the church. But, um, you know, it, it just, it becomes, it become very cold and very dead inside, yeah. you know, kind of preaching what you don't believe for so many years. And by the time I got to 2016, I was, I was pretty much dead inside. There wasn't anything left. Well, I appreciate how honest you are throughout the book. And I think that what, what makes this book unique and special is that you're also like for me in, when I was doing this in ministry, I was, I don't know, either like, uh, I don't know if it just was kind of that, that anarchist in me that loved the idea of burning things down in my head that I've been raised with, that it was almost just like fun. I was like an arsonist, like, woohoo, this is awesome. (laughs) kind of middle fingers to everything as it was happening. But then you come to the point where you're kind of sitting around in the ashes of everything and you start to go, oh, crap. Uh, do I walk away from all of this? Which many do. Or that you're left with the path of saying, okay, like what, what, can, what can I pick up to carry on? Like what, what matters? Right. What do I need? And I think a book like this is important because deconstruction is sexy. Reconstruction isn't sexy. That's the hard work of putting it back together. And yeah. And one of the things I think that that keeps us in place, either from changing or from moving towards reconstruction, um, we often, I guess, get stuck in places that feel very safe. Like you'd mentioned in the ministry, it's easy because I, my bills are paid. You know, mm-hmm. I can keep walking through this. My my kids have are being provided for. All of this, it right. we 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 do things that that keep us in these safe spaces. But at least for me, was it was always this tug that like this 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 space is now confining me. You know, this for a while it was defining me and now it's confining me that I need right. out. Like right. I can't breathe here that the journey I'm on is isn't here. I need yeah. to I need to leave. Um, but what are some of those things that prevent us from going outside the lines and seeking new things? What what keep what what are those things that keep us complacent? Well, the top one, it, it would be fear. Just, you know, fear of losing your job, fear of losing your reputation, fear of people getting mad at you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I think pride might be another one. Um, I'm not willing to give up my cushy little church and position here. You know, I just need to settle down. I actually have a friend um, who's went through that very same thing, just um, just ignored it and just preached on through. But, um, you know, now he's uh, retired and, and deconstructing. We've become friends. But, you know, fear and pride, you know, it's like, I'm I'm all right. I'll, I'll do okay. Um, and you don't. And then um, 
yeah, fear is just the big one. Uh, you know, there's so many things to be afraid of. And I even dealt with fear in the book mm-hmm. um, a little bit. But just, you know, being afraid of of not being seen as who you want to be seen as uh, is a big is a big factor in uh, hesitating to deconstruct and to come out with your deconstruction because it it's so scary. Right now, people are not liking it. Um, where I come from, they're not liking this deconstruction business. And I even have family members that, you know, don't understand what I'm going through, but um, you're just not believing the Bible anymore. It's like, no, that's not true. But um, so, yeah, just, you know, being afraid and being proud, those probably are the two biggest um, obstacles to to coming out of that life. I, I remember, I can't remember who told me this once. It was one of my professors years ago, but I think it was that people, people don't fear change. They fear loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I feel like that's a lot of it because walking through this, this journey, it's, it's the, the funny thing that happens within churches is when you tend to say, I'm not going to go here anymore. People tend to see you now as an outsider right. and then, and you lose relationships with people. And so that, like, for me, that was a difficult thing of walking away from things was relational losses. Um, but I want you to speak a, a little bit about this too, for, for people what what happens in those early days, like when we, you start to deconstruct, what, what begins to happen when we start to let go of things that we once held dear, whether they be ideas or assumptions or theology, what, what begins to happen within people? For me, it was um, Steve McVeigh's book, Grace Walk. Um, I highly recommend it. It's, it's been around for a long time, but it's still selling. People are still reading it, and I highly recommend it. Steve is a great guy. Um, back in those days, I had gone through a a brief journey into the um, charismatic third wave neo-Pentecostal movement uh, came out to my church that I was speaking in tongues. I didn't even know what I was doing, but um, I was, you know, under such pressure from pastor friends of mine, if you want your ministry to grow then you need to do this. Um, and if you don't do this, your ministry is not going to grow. And it just become, it became more legalistic than what I was used to. And so when I got out of that, I went back to seminary because um, I'd taken some time off and, just put the first three weeks of class. All I did was weep because they were talking about grace and how God loves you. And he chooses to love you that, and for no other reason. Um, and, and just hearing that stuff. And that we talked about the prodigal son and I felt like, gosh, that that's me. If that's not me, I don't know who else it is, but, and I just, you know, wept for three weeks and the professor was like, man, what's wrong with you? Let's, let's talk this out. And he was great. Um, came did revival at the church later. And, um, and it was that was a defining moment because it felt like a weight had lifted off of my shoulders, a weight of legalism, uh, charismatic legalism mainly, but also Southern Baptist legalism. Like you've got to join the church, you've got to fill up the card, you've got to tithe, you've got to be, be baptized by immersion, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, don't sit on this pew because it's brother so and so's, and he'll sit on top of you if you you know try to sit there. I mean that actually happened to me. Um, but it's, um, I forgot what I was saying. But anyway, um, yeah, the freedom yeah. happens to you. And you try to take that back to your congregation. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? Grace? What is that? You're telling people they don't have mm-hmm. to tithe? That's that's going to kill us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually, you know, had a really hard conversation with a deacon about that. At many deacons meetings where, you know, Todd, what are you talking about? All this grace stuff. You know, if you're not, one guy even said, if you're not working in the church, you're useless. And I'll never forget that statement because I was like, oh, my God, uh-huh. you got to be kidding me. Um, and the same guy put us, you know, put a sign up on the marquee of the church. Jesus is coming. Look busy. And I was like, no, man, I, <laughs> this this isn't going to work. I, I'm not this guy anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, grace has happened now. And, and I was OK for a while and then uh, went through divorce and just some terrible things happened in my personal life. And um miraculously was able to push through that and recover, get back into the ministry for a season. But uh, this last season, I just, I guess all of that, that had happened in my life, the deacons meetings, the the divorce separation, the changes that were made, I lost my house, I lost my car. Um, there was just so much loss during that time that uh, it was, I just didn't, I didn't know what I was going to do. Um, and so, Getting through that was kind of a big deal to me, but I still really didn't get through it. I was still struggling with that all the way up to the end of, you know, my ministry at, at 2016. Uh, and 
when I had my nervous breakdown, I was able to thankfully deal with a lot of that stuff in, in intensive therapy, um, which I'm very grateful for, uh, and medication or whatever I needed to get back on track. They, you know, they helped me. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that's kind of where I, where I'm at. I just want to help people mm-hmm. get through this thing because it's, it's not, it's hard, mm-hmm. but you're not alone. Yes. You don't have to be alone. And, that, and as human beings, we are so connected in so many ways, even, you know, even the Trinity is a, is a relationship, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, mind, body, soul, every, everything about us is a, is part of a relationship. Jesus prayed our father who are in heaven, give us this day, our daily bread. It's not, you know, but we, uh, in this culture, we, we try to be alone, try to take care of it ourselves. We stuff down our feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then without warning, they just come and explode on you. Um, and it's just not good. A lot of people do that. They stuff their feelings and they treat it with uh, drugs or drinking. I did all of that um, for a long time. And, and it just, uh, it kills you after a while. It, you just leave that stuff alone. And then one day it just comes up and bubbles over like a, an explosion of a champagne bottle or something. And it, and it just changes your, your life. You just have to, you can't be this way anymore. I can't, I couldn't live another day like I was living. Um, and then everything that happened after that just confirmed for me that I was on my way out of the ministry, you know, didn't want to retire. I didn't want to resign. I just, I quit. I left it. Um, I call myself an ex-pastor because I, I really just put that behind me with, uh, like I said earlier, with extreme prejudice, but, um, and, you know, and deconstruction uh, leaves you critical sometimes if you don't be careful. Um, and I had become, a deconstructed version of what I was before. They're wrong. He's wrong. She's wrong. I can't believe they're saying that. That's just so wrong. Um, and, and, you know, you just have to be careful with that. And I finally was like, you know what? I've, I don't want to become this again. I don't want to be this person again. Uh, so what do I do? And that's where I started just, you know, how do I reconstruct? Where do I start? Um, and so, you know, I thought about trying a new religion, being a Buddhist, being a Hindu, because they're so cool and Zen, and I needed that in my life. <laughs> but um, you know, back in Christianity, because you know, it, when it when it was all said and done for me, uh, when everything had come crashing down, the only thing that was left to build on was Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just started looking into Him again, mm-hmm. uh, reading reading the, the the New Testament, following His example, reading about the things that He taught. Uh, read an amazing book by Brad Jerzak, a more Christ-like God. Uh, things like that, then her gates will never be shut, and uh, all these things. Like, I believe this. This is what I've believed, but I've never heard anybody say it before. Um, and that's where you really begin to see that you know there there's a way out of this. There's a, a better way to live. And uh, I'll say this too: Rachel Held Evans had a book called Searching for Sunday, which really helped me love the church again because when I left. I was like anti-church for the longest time. Uh, and that book just really helped me settle down and say, you know, God loves these people. Uh, nothing has changed. Um, you've changed, but his love for them has not changed. And his love for you has not changed. And so get through that, deal with that, because uh, it's, it's so important to, to love people and care for people and be there for people and show up for people and leave space for people because we, we all need each other so badly. We don't even realize it sometimes. Uh, I had to, I had to figure this out in group therapy um, to be in a room with, you know, full of people that were struggling with some of the things, same kind of things I was and rejection and all of that stuff. But, um, you know, to, to stay deconstructed is a bad idea. Mm. Very bad idea. You can quote me on that. But, you know, finding a way to reconstruct, you got to find something to build on. For me, it was it was Christ. I, I just had to go back because when I first became a believer, that's who it was all about. Me and Jesus, 24-7. Until uh, somebody told me my hair was too long and I shouldn't wear these clothes to church. Uh, and I realized, oh, my God, I've let him down. I'm thinking I'm doing okay. But, you know, Jesus has been mad at me all this time. And that kind of led to a long life of trying to um, overachieve and ministry. And I did that a lot too. I wrote about it in the book too, but that, you know, that's part of my deconstruction story. Yeah. It's, it's interesting about how like all the things, the litany of things that, that people will tell you pisses off Jesus, AKA hairstyles or clothing, which Jesus spoke of none of those, but I, I've been there too. We're just, why, why were you, why were you, do, what Jesus wouldn't, what, and you're like, what, what, 
Yes, that's just foolishness. But but you 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 were just scratching at this a little bit too. But the importance of uh, grace and and community, and you spend some time in the book talking about this whole idea of the koinonia, mm-hmm. and and I, I want you to kind of unpack that a little bit about how because I like how you talked about how your version or your vision of community changed through this process. Your the way you saw it now or the way you see it now is very different than how you saw it years ago. So how, like, talk a little bit about that, how it changed. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, koinonia, for me, for the longest time, was just, you know, we think we think of koinonia, we think of the word fellowship, if we even know what the word koinonia, if we've ever heard of it even. Um, but we think of the word fellowship. And when we think of the word fellowship, we think about bowling night or Sunday school parties or um, church dinners on the grounds and things like that where we all get together. But it's basically the same conversations every week. How's your life? How's your family? How's your job? Okay, see you next week. Um, there's no there's no intimacy. Um, and that was one of the things that when I was looking back at, you know, trying to rediscover Jesus, authenticity became so incredible to me, the authentic Jesus. This is, this is not the Jesus that I knew and preached for so long, but the real authentic Jesus. And so I wanted a real and authentic faith. And that, that applied to uh, fellowship as well, you know, intimacy with others. Um, you know, my, my word for 2019 was authenticity and my word for 2020 was um, uh, uh, intimacy. And then my word for 2021 has been audacity. I haven't really played that one out yet, but um just, you know, the, the the intimacy was so missing from my life. And, you know, when you get in a room full of people at group therapy and they're talking about deep and personal stuff and, and you're just sitting there not judging them, but weeping with them and listening to them. And uh, you don't have to say anything. You don't have to do anything. Just just be there for them. And that, that to me is what koinonia should look like. And so I did some research on the word. And uh, long story short, I came up with a, a um, an obscure meaning for koinonia uh, in the Greek, and that's the word intercourse. Um, and immediately our mind goes to, you know, sexual thoughts and intercourse and all that, but that's not it at all. It's, it's, the, it's the level of intimacy that we can achieve together where nothing comes between us. There's, there's nothing holding us back from being uh, one with another. And uh, it doesn't have to be sexual either. Uh, of course, you know, the sexual thing, I dealt with that too. You know, God created that and, and it works a certain way for a reason. But, you know, when you think about koinonia, when you think about fellowship and intimacy with people, um, and we just, we so lack that. And Larry Crabb, who passed away recently, uh, wrote a book called The Safest Place on Earth, uh, talking about the church. And, and, and it was, it has so not been the safest place on earth for so many people. Yeah. And so we, we need to find something to build on. We need to find a community now that we've deconstructed and are reconstructing, where do we go? We can't go back to our old church because we're just going to listen to the same old stuff over again Mm -hmm. and just get frustrated and leave. Um, Or, you know, just get sad because these poor people, they just don't know what I know and they've not seen what I've seen. But um, the the fellowship goes so much deeper than talking together and, and praying together. Those things are good and they're, they're a form of intimacy, but just really become bare in front of somebody, be your, authentic self say what you really feel say what you really mean show who you really are and for them to be able to accept that and return that to you by showing them who you are and i had an experience of this koinonia uh, back when i was writing the book um my wife and i haven't been to church uh, really regularly since 2016 um, and we discovered we went and visited a church and it was just the same old stuff and i couldn't i couldn't go back um and then, you know, we found a, a, a group, uh, met up with an old pastor friend of mine from, from a few years ago, and he invited me to his new church. It was a small group, and we had small group meetings in the, in the house on Tuesdays. And this particular time, my wife and I were having some serious financial issues. I had been out of work. No money was coming in, and we were about to lose everything, lose our apartment and, and just be evicted. We had nowhere to go. Um, and so I shared that with the group, and they did not say, well, let's take up an offering and and give you what you need. They listened. They sat there and they listened and they allowed me to voice this and they didn't judge. They didn't say, well, yeah, I've I've been through that too. I've I've heard, you know, no, they just let us be who we are. And they accepted that. And then uh, they returned that. Um, 
I just, you know, the next day, the pastor at six o'clock in the morning says, you know, I've been thinking about you all night in your situation. I wish I had an answer for you. It's like, they're still thinking about this mm-hmm. into the night. It's like, this looks more like koinonia than, than what I've been used to that, mm-hmm. you know, they just allow us to show up for each other. We make space for each other. And, you know, miraculously, we, we were able to get the money we needed and dig out of that hole again, wait for the next one. But, um, I just think we're we're missing the connection. We're missing the intimacy that comes through Koinonia. We're afraid to be ourselves at church. We put on our masks because, you know, like my my uh, young friend who was who had just come out to his family, he he had to wear a mask for a long time. And he, you know, you just get to a place where you can't wear this mask anymore. You just something's got to give. You got to be real. Um, and then you you take a chance and take a risk, and then you find that you're rejected and and shamed and and guilted and you should do this. You should have done that. You shouldn't do this. Um, People should all over each other. And it just becomes a a nightmare for, for people and say applies to deconstruction. I think, Um, you know, maybe not everybody gets as um, nasty as, as I've seen, but uh, it can be very difficult, especially when you're dealing with, with family uh, for your family not to understand because I, my children, for example, they're adults now and uh, I'm a grandfather. So, I mean, they are, they're, well, you know, they're up in adulthood, uh, but you know, when I was, when they were little, you know, we took them to church every Sunday and they heard, you know, their dad preach Jesus, this and Jesus that. Um, and now for me to come out and kind of be a little bit different, um, it's tough, you know, it, it's tough. They're, they're being okay about it so far, but they're not really talking to me about it. <laughs> Uh, but I had a great conversation with my son-in-law uh, mm-hmm. about it. He's studying to be a minister as well. And uh, I understand what he's going through, what he's saying. We were able to connect and and, and listen to each other. Um, and so I'm really trying to do that more with everybody. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it just, it, it's so cool when you can have that connection with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I got off track, but uh, I do that a lot. You might have to reel me back in. From no, no, it's good. No, but I think that, that <laughs> no, but part of this, when we talk about like deconstruction and reconstruction, it's it's what we're leaving behind, and what we're saying like we've had enough of this, and I want more of this. Um, it, it it when you were talking about this in the book, it reminded me of probably one of my favorite stories in vocational ministry that didn't involve me making a scene; it involved someone else kind of making a scene. Uh, it was a good friend of mine. <laughs> And we were, it, we, uh, I was like, at the time, I was a, like the high school pastor of a, you could say it's a mega church in the area. And my good friend was the, the middle school pastor. And we're in this stupid, vapid uh, church ministry meeting with all of the pastors and staff because we need to find a really neat name because we have small groups, but we also want to have affinity groups, you know, mm-hmm. groups where people can do things together that don't necessarily have right. to do with like reading scripture, but. So yeah, it, right. it was it was a stupid, vapid conversation. It had really nothing to do with ministry and more about just kind of polishing the knobs of people in the church and making them feel good. Exactly. Yeah. And so it was. They were spending all this time on needing a new name, and a name for it. What do we call these? Because that's really the most important thing is naming it. So yes, mm-hmm. and so and and the 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 middle school pastor. One thing I loved about him, and I still love about him, he's, he's still my friend, and is that he's always honest, whether he. <laughs> whether he should have been or not. And you'd even mentioned this kind of in the book about the idea of, of intercourse, this kind of like a relational intercourse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's like, you know, the best thing we've been talking about this the whole time, we should just call these orgy groups. And so like, and to be on a church board with all these other <laughs> pastors there, there was just like the silence and quiet of like, uh, and I, it, to me, it was a beautiful moment because he was actually almost not wrong. I mean, in a yeah. certain sense, it, it wasn't that ridiculous. And, and it also called into the ridiculousness of what they're wanting to. They wanted like this fake intimacy. They wanted fake right. things that can make people yeah. feel about that. And there's, there's a lot of things in the church that we do that we've learned to, like you've said, fake it. Uh, but it's not a fake it till you make it. It's just a fake it till you fake it again uh, yeah. kind of a situation. Um, but one, one thing I appreciate how you also did this, and I want you to speak into this more is, is reframing, because you, you do a lot of reframing in the middle of this book, and you reframe this idea of fear, especially like in the context of fear of God. So, so how do things change in our perspective and viewpoint when we change how we view fear in regards to God? Yeah, that was a, that was a big struggle for me. Um, you know, for years, we're taught fear the Lord, fear God. You know, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and the, the word fear doesn't actually mean fear. 
like be afraid of. It's it's totally different than what we realize. And um, in you know Timothy, God, the the Bible says God did not give us a spirit of fear. So we see that fear is a as a spirit, and neuroscience is one of my hobbies. I, I'm a total nerd um, in that regard, but it fascinates me how the human brain operates and how it can apply to uh, our faith and and show us things that that we wouldn't see otherwise. Um, Johns Hopkins did a, a a fear test years ago with a group of people. They put them in a dark room and they showed pictures of spiders on the wall. And while they were doing this, there were, there were some that, that didn't see spiders at all. They just saw whatever. Uh, but the ones that saw spiders, you know, there was definitely a reaction in the brain. But it was like, it was like a pin, a tiny little poke of fear in the brain. And, I, you know, it just kind of shows us that fear is really not a big deal. It, it, it's a spirit and it needs to be overcome and we just need to not be afraid. And I think that's probably if, if, if our country, if our world and society could get behind that and not be afraid of each other and not mm. be afraid of change, not be afraid to try something new, um, not be afraid to talk to one another. then I think we, I think we could really see a difference in the world. And that's kind of, you know, that's why I'm writing this, these books. Cause I just want people to re- read this stuff and say, you know what, maybe, I need to think about it this way from now on, hmm. or, or maybe that's interesting. I'm going to think on that some more, hmm. or, you know, or, Hey, screw this guy. He didn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> um, but, but either way, I think we need to get the conversation out there. That fear is really not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that we create in our minds. And, um, you know, my wife likes to watch a lot of, uh, crime TV, you know, the, like, uh, NCIS and things like that. And sometimes, you know, they'll, uh, a guy will jump out of the dark alley and you know, grab somebody. And, you know, she sees things like that and she just gets scared uh, of life. Um, you know, we don't go out in the dark. We, you know, the things like that, we ch- kind of change the way we live because she's afraid of uh, being grabbed in the middle of, you know, the middle of an alley or something, even though we don't go into alleys or anything like that, <laughs> but right. it's just, it's, it's up here in the mind. Yeah. But if we were to examine her mind, it would just be a little black dot on the, on the scanner because it's really not that big. And so the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. And that's actually, a, um, I probably won't be able to explain it as well as Dr. Timothy Jennings. But basically, you know, when we focus on love mm. instead of focusing on fear, it literally, the synapses and all that go to that fear and they just, they cancel it out. You know, perfect love casts out all fear. I mean, it's just incredible what the brain can do if we, if, you know, if we tap into some of that, 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 it's probably not interesting to read, but for me, I just, I love it. I love seeing how, you know, faith and the brain operate. That's kind of changed my life and kind of helped me reconstruct is that, you know, the, the scientific things that we're finding out now about, about God and about the universe and about quantum mechanics and how we really are connected in such a way that we, we can't even fathom, but we are absolutely connected to each other. Uh, and part of this earth, we're connected to everything. And when we, when we hold back on our connection, like breathing, for example, mm-hmm. when we breathe, we're, we're helping the atmosphere to stay, um, just, you know, to continue. But when we take a plastic bag and wrap it around our head, suddenly we're not, we're not giving out any more air. We're not giving out any more carbon dioxide and we die. And I believe that that, that has to do with, um, transgression of God's law, the natural law of things. Uh, and, and the wages of that sin is death. Um, it, it, it just kind of makes sense when you, when you start to put it together like that, I, I'm doing a terrible job explaining it. No, no, but, you're not. I, I love how you're integrating this, that you're, I feel like this is more of an integration is what you're getting at. I think yeah, of things yeah, think, just outside to where I feel like the church has made boxes. We're like, this is all we need to know. And then right. you're actually saying, no, but this actually will speak more to this. And over here, we can draw this in, and this gives us a better perspective of who we are as humans, mm-hmm. as opposed to a, a very cardboard perspective, I think, that which we oftentimes get fed um, right. and, and, and things like that. And one, one, another one thing that I, I really enjoyed, because I, uh, in my past, a number of years, I, I was a support-based missionary working with an evangelistic organization. So I've done the whole thing where you raise your own money and do all that, and I mm-hmm. ended up being more of a 
in my mind, a thorn in the side of my evangelistic organization because I kept asking <laughs> questions of this because it, it, right. it, the version of evangelism that I had grown up around and then was trained around was very, very simplistic. You know, it's just kind of get them to pray the prayer, get them to do this, and and the kingdom of God is very narrow and small, and it only really matters about death. Right. Now, you, I love, I love, I love how you were unpacking that more in the book about how your view of evangelism has changed a lot. Oh, yeah. And and what is, what is like, how are you embracing evangelism, not as simply like a, like, transactional thing or a Turner burn kind of conversation, <laughs> but how, how is, how has it shifted for you? I think it's just become more relational for me. I don't feel like, um, I don't feel this compulsion to go up and share the the gospel with everybody that I share a track with everybody I meet and leave a track on the table and leave a track on the urinal. I've seen that so many times. Um, that's one place where you, you know, you can't help but see it, but, um, yeah, evangelism, for me, it was a sales pitch back back in those days. It was, you know, you've got a problem. You're you're full of sin and separated from God. Jesus has the solution, um, and 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 here's what you got to do to to get this. You know, here's how we close the sale. And I could do that selling vacuum cleaners or, or just about anything. It's, it's just a it's a pitch, and I think we mean well. I don't think we we mean to be wrong or, or less than we could be. But I think just understanding who Jesus really is, the authentic Jesus who um, raised people from the dead, who healed people, spent time with lepers, spent time with prostitutes, spent time with tax collectors and and people that the, the religious people were looking at and just saying, wow, yeah, I can't believe he's spending time with that crowd. Um, and he that's what he did. And so when we begin to look at him and his, his life, and we begin to see how evangelism is just simply being there for people and, and showing Jesus to people, um, letting them see Jesus in the way you behave and the way you treat them and the way you act. And it's not a it's not a sales pitch and it's not a prayer that you have to pray because I'm I'm more of a universalist than I used to be. And I, uh, I, I still I mean, Brad Jersak says that some universalism doesn't take sin seriously. So I'm working on working all that out with with what I believe. But uh, I just believe that if if all men were cursed under Adam's sin, then all men should be able to be set free from Christ. Um, there shouldn't be a oh you got to pray this prayer. You got to you got to receive it first. You got to ask for it. You got to want it. And I just think that's uh, you know just not productive and, and limiting. Um, to what it could be if we just really show Jesus to the world and, and be like him and imitate him and and love people the way he loved them. Uh, and I, I just showing grace and mercy and um, wow. Yeah, I just it just it blows my mind, the, the grace and the, and the love and the mercy that we are shown by this man who walked our earth and, and loves us still and is still very involved in our lives and in our daily struggles, uh, but gives us a wonderful example of how to present ourselves to the world. And we don't have to all be robots. I can be myself and present the Jesus in me to the world the way that I would do it. And then you can do the same thing just as you would do it. Um, and it's not like a, a, a pattern that we have to follow. It's, it's just be there for people, show up for people, love people, no matter what. Um, and that no matter what is, is where we get tr- tripped up i think um if we could get past the no matter what and start to really believe that mm-hmm. then i think i think the the tide would turn on us loving one another loving god loving each other that's that's about as simple as you can put it and jesus said this is the greatest commandment this is the this is the one the, the end all beat all of commandments this is the one you need to really concentrate on mm-hmm. uh, love god love others and it's so simple but yet we make it so complicated mm-hmm. Because I know one thing I was, uh, I think you're, you're completely right. I think the, the, the loving and, and the living out grace, it's an easy thing to preach or say. It's a harder thing to do. It's time consuming. It's messy. And, and after, at least for me, after being in years of ministry, I, you kind of learn the tricks of the trade. Like I know how to get people to come down. Right. And pray a prayer. I know yep. how to, 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 to whip up emotions in front of mm-hmm. a crowd. And, and so I've had to learn that like, you may be good at that, but some of these are dirty tricks and you need to get rid of these, <laughs> you know, type of things like to where I've, I've, I've that we were taught this. We know like the music and all this other kind of stuff. And, and mm-hmm. for me over time, I kept seeing the same people like praying the same prayers and doing all this. And I was like, but what are we doing? This is just about yeah. metrics. This mm-hmm. isn't about like really moving us towards something new. Um, now you mentioned this earlier and I'm, I'm going to shift modes a little bit because I want to pick your brain more. 
Um, sure. So I know that you are you are a life coach. So I'm wanting some life coaching um, here in this portion. So one thing I will say for my process, and I, I feel like I've been deconstructing and reconstructing. It, it feels like it's a constant process of like refining over time. Mm-hmm. Like I'll, I'll kind of dig into this one area and like, wow, clean that out. I'm fully deconstructed. Now I'm fully yeah. reconstructed. No, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> there's more. There's it's more ongoing. Yes. Uh, one one area for me, I, I, I that I've struggled with on the reconstruction side. And I was just I was just going to pick your brain about this. Um, sure. Because being someone, because I think I've been I've been through similar circles as you. I was raised Southern Baptist, but I've also been exposed to like the charismatic Pentecostal circles as well, and lots in between. Um, mm-hmm. And also being a pastor, you know some of those. We've been around manipulation things and things that people happen. And so for me, one of the areas I'm uh, like honing in on, at least in this season, is kind of those smaller things. Um, you know, when do we know like and I was going to ask you about some of these things like tr- like how do we trust in like that small voice of God and that it's not something that we've been like taught to do or manufacture us to do? Just like in certain Pentecostal circles I've been around where you teach people to speak in tongues. You know, these kind of things. We've taught people to, like, say the things and do the things. But then when you begin to go back and be like, all right, all that's a lot of that is crap. Yeah. And so, yeah, how do you do that, life coach? So, like, how do we begin to retrust in those, like, the small parts of of our faith? A a friend of mine who uh, is a pastor once told me to celebrate the small things in life. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so I've tried to adopt that mindset in, in everyday life. And, and it really is just a matter of focusing your mind on the smaller things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back back in my heyday as a pastor, I wanted to preach the convention sermon. I wanted to have the mega church. I wanted to, you know, do all this. Um, but now it's like if somebody needs a ride home, I want to give it to them. Uh, if someone needs something, I, I want to be the one to help them with it. Um, and just focusing on the small because in God's kingdom, small is large. Mm-hmm. Small is very large. Uh, death precedes life in God's kingdom, not not the other way around. Um, and so, if we're living with kingdom mindedness, then we we just learn to focus on the the little tiny things that really didn't seem to matter before, mm. but make such a big difference. You know, Jesus having dinner with uh, you know known sinners, having dinner with somebody, being in their home was a big deal in this culture. Um, to be invited into someone's home was one thing, but to be invited to sit down to a meal with them is is a very intimate thing in the in the ancient world. And so when we when people saw Jesus doing this, they're just like, "This is not biblical. We can't do this. Um, it's going to ruin the reputation of the you know whatever." Um, and yeah, he did, but he, he didn't focus on. I'm going to make you speak in tongues. I'm going to make you healed. I'm going to, I mean, it did bring Lazarus back from the dead, but um, I guess you got to show off sometimes if you're Jesus. <laughs> but, um, you know, for the most part, it was just little things like, what do you need? What do you want? Mm. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to get well? Um, go and sin no more. Um, and that's another thing that I don't think I wrote about it in this book, but that's another thing that I've been struggling with in my reconstruction is what does he mean when he says that go and sin no more it's not like now you go and you sin no more or i'm going to come back it's 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 go and be free just go and be free be loved be accepted be affirmed in in christ um but yeah just for me i used to focus on big things i wanted the big house i wanted the big everything uh, and now it's just like I, I would be satisfied with so very little right now. Yeah. Um, people might even think that's weird, um, like I'm a hippie or something like that. But I really I am actually. But um, just to not be worried about the big stuff is liberating to me. Um, and so I would I would if I were you, I would look at the things in my life that are big and say, how can I refocus on these things without seeing them so large? And try to, you know, even I take notes, I journal, I do all that myself. Um, but it's just a matter of, of reprogramming your mind. It's the neuroplasticity, mm-hmm. teaching your brain to think new thoughts. And every time you get a new smartphone or pick up the guitar or learn, you know, learn a new instrument, you know, you're creating plasticity in the brain. You're sending these, you know, impulses. Uh, and so that's what we just got to do. We just, it, it's, it's not, a, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, lights from heaven, angels singing, moment every day just little things 
Mm. Important things like I tell my wife I love her. Mm. And to me, that's a little thing. To her, it's a big thing. Um, and I tell my kids I love my, I hug them, I kiss them, I don't care. Um, James Taylor said, shower the people you love with love. And I'm going to do that. And if they don't like it, that's just too bad. But, um, and other people too, you know, I'm a hugger. And, you know, with COVID and everything else, I've had to dial that back. But uh, that's just who I am. I just, I want you to know that you are special, that you are loved. Um, and and we do this in, in little ways, little things make such a big difference in, in the kingdom. Um, in the world, we need big things. In the world, we need our own rocket, you know, shooting <laughs> yes. off in space. Um, but in reality, we just yeah. need to be kind. Love it. To be to be loving, to to uh, be available, to show up for people, yeah. to listen uh, without an agenda, without forming an answer, just listen to what somebody's talking about, hear them. Um, so many little ways that, that we can change the way we think and change the way we've always operated. Uh, and, and for me, that was the, that was the moment, the defining moment for me. I even wrote it in one of my Bibles. Uh, Pastor Shane said, you know, focus, you know, celebrate the small things. And I, I thought, celebrate, celebrate the small things. That's powerful. Um, Cause I, I wasn't, I was looking for the big stuff yeah. uh, and, you know, celebrating the big stuff when it would happen, but not the little stuff. And it just, it kind of changed, changed a lot for me to do that. Awesome. Well, last question, and this is still this is still deconstruction, reconstruction slash life coach question, because sure. I think I think a lot of people, as we've walked away from things, as people walk away from churches or certain pastors or certain mindsets or denominations, like for you, how how do you digest now messages and teachings from people in authority after you've been in systems where you can see a lot of the crud in that authority? Um, so like, yeah, how, how do you process, like, who, who do I listen to? Who, who feeds me? Right. Who's toxic? Who's not toxic? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I have pretty much, uh, stuck to just a few people that I know personally. Uh, Keith Giles, for example, is an amazing teacher. Mm -hmm. He has, um, gosh, so much knowledge on, on things gives him, he always, every time we talk, he gives me something new to think about that I had never thought about before. And he's just that kind of guy. So Keith Giles, Jason Elam is another great guy that, that I love to talk to. Carl Forehand, um, you can't really tell by looking at him, but he's an extremely deep individual, kind, uh, really cares about people. And I just try to surround myself with, with people like that. I don't listen to TV preachers or, and I, I listen to podcasts. Those feed me too. But, um, you know, just keeping it, keeping my circle small right now is, is kind of how I'm getting through, um, my wife and I are talking again about let's, let's go find a church. Let's go find a community to try to be a part of. Um, don't know if it's going to happen. Don't know how it's going to go, but um, you know, I just feel like we, we, we need that. We need to be around people. Mm -hmm. uh, we need people in our lives. We need that koinonia. Um, and we just, we, we can't stay home. And, and you know, COVID has had us all staying home for so long. Uh, a lot of us just are afraid to leave the house even, but um, when we do get out there and, and be around people, even if we don't connect with them automatically, at least there's something powerful about just being with yeah. others and human beings and, and not just dogs, which we pretty much are 24 seven. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. Um, That's good. Did that answer the question? Yeah, <laughs> no, I like it. I like it. I like it. I like that. And, and, and Todd, so as we've been talking through all this, so how I know people can find the book on Amazon, uh, Reconstructing Your Mind, a post-deconstruction journey by Todd Arvick. Todd, how, how can people find you if they're wanting to find out more about you or connect with you? Got a website, toddarvick.net. And basically, it's got all my social media. Everything that you would need to find me is going to be on that website. Okay. Try to keep it simple. No, I think simple is good in these <laughs> days of complicated many things. Keep it small, keep it simple which yep. I think is a lot of this message that we heard today. Well, Todd, thank you for your time. This has been a great conversation. And, and I really do believe that this is, this is a good asset for people that are in that process of kind of walking along their journeys. For someone who's, who's been through deconstruction and continues to be through it, this was a good book for me as well, too. It was a good reminder and a good reframing for a lot of things. So, Todd, I appreciate what you're doing, and I'm excited to see where this book goes and what goes on next for you. So thank you so much for your time today. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This has been fun. Well, that's all we've got today, boys and girls. But before I send you off, just a reminder to share the show, subscribe, and give Snarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts. Helps get the word out to new listeners. If anyone reach out to me directly, hit me up at questions at snarkyfaith.com. 
But again, thank you for being a part of the show this week and every week. I appreciate you all. And as I release you out into this wild, wide world, I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. Go out and make a difference in the world around you and check out Todd Arvik's new book, The Reconstruction of Your Mind. That's all I got this week. I'm out of here. Peace. Someone stayed around for bonus content on the end of the show. You know what that means? It means you're better than everyone else that listened to the show up until this point. You stayed for the bonus. It means you are my favorite listener. You know who you are, and I know who you are. I can feel it down deep in the cockles of my heart. I can feel it there. I feel it. I feel it. But you didn't come here for feelings. You came here for crazy. Oh, and I've got just two bits of crazy to leave you here with. But before we hop to that, I got to give you some intro music to our abbreviated version of the Christian Crazy of the Week. If loving the Lord is wrong, I don't want to be right. Lord, have mercy. The Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. So for our first two mentions in the Christian craze that we're going to give you here in the bonus content today. These two were the choicest cuts of the Christian nuts of the week. Now, I'm not quite sure whether we're going to call this like beat poetry or like musical theater. I'm not really sure whether he's freestyle prophesying exactly what you label this at. But we have here King of Bullshit prophet Hank Kuhneman is doing prophesying to music and it's something to behold and really it kind of just mocks itself as it goes on but i think you'll enjoy it because it's nuts keep your eye upon arizona because god says see my finger the domino falls keep your eye upon wisconsin and michigan i will crack them and smack them together and I will cause the Liberty Bell to ring loud in Pennsylvania. And I will teach a lesson to the devil who thought he could go down to Georgia. And I'm going to show an interesting clue in New Hampshire. And I'm going to also unveil from the high place of Colorado. I'm going to bring it down and let you see something. As these things begin to happen, says the living God, the news, they're going to say, we want truth. Do you believe that you're even hearing this? God says, watch, the first sign is they will say, and they will begin the blame game. They'll start pointing the finger at the very ones that they were lifting up and lying about and concealing their behavior. <laughs> and they will demand truth to save their own hides and they will say we want evidence regarding the virus but then God says watch as they have to choke on that they're gonna have to see election results smack them between their eyes I mean I kind of feel like Hank Kuhneman is like the Olivia Rodrigo of Christian prophets like he's brokenhearted he's brokenhearted and he's upset that his orange was higher it's not there. And he really is kind of hung up on this thing, and he's not really getting over it anytime soon. But you know who else is someone that is, is really known for kind of drawing their line in the sand, saying, I'm going to double down, then I'm going to double down and double down and double down and double down and double down because I am so effing prideful. There is no way you're ever going to hear me tell you that I am wrong because that is what most pastors and prophets should be full of humility like this. Because Greg Locke is any, if he's anything, he's full of humility. And that is very thick sarcasm. Very thick sarcasm. But, you know, 
If you are planning on visiting Greg Locke's church, he's got a couple words for the wise. You know how we talk on the show a lot of times about how, how Jesus has a wide table and it's open for everyone? Ho, 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 ho! Not so fast, Greg Locke says. Not so fast. Because there's people that are not welcome in his church. And he's going to tell you who needs to keep their fanny out of his pews. And as I leave you with this, I ask you, I ask you very sincerely, what Looney Tunes character does he remind you the most of? So let's have it, Pastor Locke. Don't believe this Delta variant nonsense. Stop it. Stop it. If they go through round two and you start showing up all these masks and all this nonsense, I'll ask you to leave. I will ask you to leave. I am not playing these Democrat games up in this church. If you want to social distance, go to First Baptist Church, but don't come to this one. I'm done with it. I said I'm done with it.